Forget the Eiffel Tower, the Colosseum, and the Statue of Liberty. What if I told you I've got something better? How about the Cup of Noodles Museum in Japan? No? Okay, or Bubblegum Alley in California? Still no? Okay, fair enough, fair enough. We have a world of avid travelers. Country hopping around the world to see something spectacular. And hidden throughout our world are hidden links to the past, quirky corners, and museums that are... Weird. I'm looking at you, Iceland, the whole penis museum. <laughs> Today we're talking about the weird, strange, and bizarre tourist attractions around the world. Luke, what is the weirdest place you've ever visited on holiday? And I say holiday because visiting weird places in our town doesn't count. I'd have to say Coleman's Corp in Namibia. It was pretty weird. Okay. Because it was like a whole, sort of like a ghost town, like an old-timey western-feeling ghost Ooh. town in a way. But... It had been completely engulfed by a sand dune or by what? the sand dunes. So like inside the buildings? Inside the buildings. So uh, like basically you'd be walking along the dunes right next to the, the, like the right roof. next to the roofs of the building. No way. And you can kind of crouch down and get through the underside of doorways, like the top of doorways to get into the other rooms. And yeah. Very, very weird. You feel kind of upside down. It's yeah, I, I can imagine that. Quite hard to explain, but it's, <laughs> I'd say that's probably the weirdest place. To me, that's just how I picture Namibia at any time. That's how yeah, people live, it's just it? a lot of sand. Here. <laughs> a lot of sand and weird buildings. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't say I've visited any place that is super strange or out there. Uh, I mean, we kind of live close to one of the world's most giant pineapple, if that yeah, counts. it does It count. came up in a few of the searches. I was really surprised. Really? Yeah. We're famous. It's not a real pineapple. It's not a real pineapple. It's a museum of sorts. Speaking of museums, though, there has been this ongoing movement throughout the years, turning collections of weird items into a museum. I don't know if you've noticed this, and I guess you could have come to this conclusion from my intro alone, but no matter what you can think of, there is a museum for it. I mean, you've got museums for toilets, for hair, for dog collars, uh, even one for barbed wire. I can't really say any of these really piqued my interest. No. Um, at it all. would make like one interesting YouTube vid for five minutes. You know? <laughs> yeah, literally. I don't think I'd go to a museum for it. Well, I mean, the barbed wire one, it's called the Devil's Rope Museum and it's along Route 66 in Texas. The Devil's Rope is a pretty cool name for barbed wire. Well, they had to make it sound cool somehow. Because just <laughs> Museum of Barbed Wire doesn't really get one's attention now, does it? That would make a great name for a craft beer. <laughs> Devil's Rope. Devil's Rope. Yeah, yeah. really would. So the website for the Devil's Rope Museum is one page. They literally have one paragraph and this is it. It just basically says, We are telling the world all about the history of barbed wire, its artifacts, the significance of the invention and the impact on development of the Old West. Our mercantile on site provides you with opportunity to purchase books, barbed wire samples and postcards, as well as various bundles of wire for the collector in the group. We have a library on site that offers books about the history of barbed wire and how to identify the wire. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to go there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't, you know, really sink in that. I just, I can feel the rust. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you. Strangely enough, I also managed to come across what you would classify a museum of museums. It's called the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Okay. And no one actually knows what the hell is going on. Also, the name doesn't make sense because exactly. Jurassic is like the Jurassic period. Jurassic and technology contradict each yeah. other. Yeah. So there was even a book written by a guy named Lawrence Weschler called Mr. Wilson's Cabinet of Wonder. 
Kong, the ants, horned humans, masks on toast, and other marvels of Jurassic technology. So the museum itself was founded in 1988 by David and Diana Wilson and refers to itself as an educational illusion dedicated to the advancement of knowledge and the public appreciation of the lower Jurassic. Okay. What the hell does that mean? They use the word lower Jurassic as a kind of nod to the collections being left uncertain and unexplained. Everything about this place seems to give you a sense of understanding, yet avoids all clarification. Sounds like a tax dodge to me. <laughs> yeah. So the Smithsonian actually did a whole article on this thing, and they coined it pretty well. Um, they said it's comforting and unsettling at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so the founder, David Wilson, started his career working with animations and miniature models for okay. commercials and films and promotions and all that kind of stuff. He had the idea of the Museum of Jurassic Technology, and it started out as just like a traveling collection of cultural curiosities. I don't know how, I don't know if he just had it in the back of his car and used to pull it out. In 1988, he eventually settled in a residence and today has around about 12,000 square feet of building taken up with this museum of his. Here are a few of the exhibits. There's an exhibit of pre-scientific cures and remedies, one of them being duck's breath. <laughs> There's a exhibit called The Garden of Eden on Wheels, and it's just a collection of Los Angeles-era trailer parks. He has a micro-miniature sculpture kind of exhibit that has a whole bunch of little microscopic sculptures done out of hair, one strand of hair, within the Arva needle that you can kind of go forward and, and look at. He's got a whole section called Rotten Luck, and it's basically a set of Da or Das decaying as the exhibit goes on. And the, the Da are actually made of a cellulose nitrate. Listeners, you can't see my face right now, but it is one of confusion. I will assure you that. Yeah, it is. And I wish I wish there was reason for this. Like I, this place is honestly a marvel of confusion. And and that that's what it aims for. That is what they want. They want you to walk in and they want you to be utterly confused but intrigued. And they do it so well. And I'm so weirded out that I have to say that. But they really do. I'll try and find at least some sort of photo to depict this place. Because, I mean, there are videos of it. Um, and we'll put it up on our Instagram. I definitely do want to go here. Yes. Oh, it's so It sounds great. like really cool. Yeah. Like unique little things. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's intriguing. Yeah. Uh, so while a person is actually visiting the museum, there are recorded narrations playing in the background. And the voice in the recordings is super deadpan and serious. And it kind of like feeds the illusion that the exhibits are very factual because it's almost like you're getting this lecture. Yeah. Um, and part of the charm of this museum, and we put charm in inverted commas, because at some point during this kind of academic style recording, you have this moment of realization you realize that they're talking absolute crap. <laughs> what they're saying is not real or factual in any way. This almost sounds like a Monty Python sketch. Yeah, you know? that's actually very accurate. This <laughs> sounds like a Monty Python sketch. You almost get to a part where you start to unpack the, the museum and you realize like what they're saying is nonsense. And if you speak to one of the curators and you ask them about an exhibit, they kind of just go with a, well, we don't like to portray what the exhibit's about. We more want you to decipher what you can feel from the exhibit. Classic artsy-fartsy. <laughs> the Yelp reviews aren't great. I can tell you that right really? now. Because <laughs> the guys go in, they come out, they're like, 
everything you learn from this can be found in an article online. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... But I, I also think that that's a person who went in there expecting to get this really great and fantastic museum. But in actual fact, got this Ripley's Believe It or Not where yeah. every item, you know, you know it, but it's not what you know. Yeah. You There's, don't know it in this way. Yeah. The curators of the museum actually want you to think, how do I know what I know? And kind of, if it can pique your curiosity, knowledge doesn't matter anyway. Like that's what they're trying to go for. Hmm. They kind of make you second guess what your knowledge is, but you're interested. I mean, you're intrigued. There's a, <laughs> there's a, a, a literally an exhibit of a man with his mouth over a duck bill. And like it's being taxidermied. Obviously, the face is a paper mache thing. And that's the whole thing about duck's breath and all okay. that nonsense. When you look at it, <laughs> why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> so they obviously attract a ton of uh, tourists yeah. because it's put itself separate from, from anything else. Because you can kind of walk in there and make up your own assumptions and no one can explain what it is. And- I mean this to the point, and I've never done this in any of our episodes, but I literally had to get my fiance to help me research and go through the articles on this thing because I needed someone else to figure out what was going on. I literally <laughs> to get a second it. opinion that you're not an idiot. I'm not like. going crazy. <laughs> like when you read the articles, nothing makes sense only to realize it's not meant to. I mean, look at their description alone for this thing. An educational institution dedicated to the advancement of knowledge and the public appreciation of the lower Jurassic. What does that mean? <laughs> I would think it's something to do with dinosaurs. Yes. Okay. We all immediately assume that because of the Jurassic period yeah. and because that's what it was. It was back in the day. It was a prehistoric period. And then you have technology, which is a complete contradiction. Is there like another definition for Jurassic that no. I'm not understanding? No, 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 no. They intended this to be the Jurassic era. And that's why they say lower Jurassic. But they are basically loading their words to give you false perceptions to make you assume different things when you see the, the, the exhibits. Okay. I so want to go there. Yeah. This is, <laughs> is mind-bending a yeah. little bit. <laughs> when I was looking around, there's another museum called the Museum of Weird. And I was quite intrigued by that one. I definitely want to go to that one as well. And it's basically, if you can imagine Ripley's Believe It or Not as a museum, or actually mm. just Odd Topic Podcast as a museum, because <laughs> as you walk in, there's a huge ass Bigfoot. Yeah. And it's got those little, like, the shrunken heads that you find on uh, there, yes, and yeah. uh, weird sculptures of people. And What's the deal with the shrunken heads, man? I don't actually know. You just see them around as if they're, like, fermented, pickled human heads <laughs> yeah. that are really small, but that doesn't make any sense, actually. I know. And to be honest, I've never actually done much research into them. They've man. just come up in pop culture so often. Well, next episode on Adobe Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Mysteries of the Shrunken Heads. <laughs> but I mean, with all the weird, I don't know, museums out there, I, w- I, was, I was actually so happy to find this one because it gave like a different aspect of museums. The, the, the Cup of Noodles one is actually fantastic. Let's hear about it. it's so overdone. Like take Japan and yeah. basically everything that they do. And now give them a ramen museum or a cup of noodles museum. It's got walls and walls of walls of every different brand, man, like manufactured cup of noodles. It's like when someone's passion goes too far. Correct. You, you, they, they've got a replica of the cabin where the first like instant noodles was created. 
and how it was done and all of that. There looks like classrooms and at each table, it's got like this Japanese lady standing there in front of like pasta making machine. You can go yeah. in, go for lessons. There's cafeteria. Okay, obviously one of the biggest part about this place is the cafeteria is massive. And they probably only serve cup noodles. Cup noodles. Yeah, ramen, <laughs> man. <laughs> and its website is like loaded with information. Yeah. Every other one of these is literally like one page. I love these little things. I would go to these things yes. if I was in the area. I'm not going to go out of my way. No, 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 no. Of course not. <laughs> the barbed wire one is on Route 66, which is, I think, one of the most famous yeah. routes in yeah. America. And it's just that it's kind of shared between the Route 66 or the barbed wire museum. And then the other one is, it's like the Texas Museum. Okay. So it's got a whole bunch of stuff about their like, cattle and the area and all that stuff. I don't, it wasn't that interesting. It was like a What wrong... do we have on the Skeleton Coast? There's a... Route 67? Oh, uh, it's not Skeleton Coast. It, it's basically the, the one through Otsuru. Yeah. Yeah, it's Route 62 or something like 63. Route 62. Yeah, it's Route 62. Yeah. yeah, that's our famous one. That's what's Ronnie's sex shop and all yeah, that. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Skeleton Coast is the one that goes up through Namibia. Yeah, which I've is got, not allowed on. I got that in my, <laughs> on my brain. <laughs> Still in Namibia. So museums aside, Luke, I know you're going to go darker. Yeah. So give it to me, boy. So once again, Brett, uh, I took the topic and I gave it horns <laughs> and I went down a really twisted spiral of death and tragedy. So <laughs> We have been on a bit of death and tragedy uh, loop lately. Yeah, well, look, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So believe it or not, both my topics in our previous episodes on catacombs and amusement parks actually included weird tourist attractions. Mm. The creepy Paris catacombs and the rundown old daddy park amusement park are both tourist areas now. Which I suppose appeal to those seeking more of a thrill than your typical touristy vacations, you know? Yeah. So there's actually a whole community of people who are into this kind of thing. It's called Thanatourism or Dark Tourism, where the idea is to go and visit areas around the world, not to seek the beauty and wonder, but instead to seek the scary, tragic, and death-riddled places. The word Thana in Thanatourism comes from the name of the mythological Greek figure Thanatus. Not to be confused with Thanos. I was so going to say Thanos. Avengers. Pretty sure Thanos is based on this guy. Probably. So Thanatos is the personification of death. It was the son of Nyx and Erebos, being night and darkness, and the twin brother of Hypnos, being sleep. Anyway, sorry, this isn't a Greek mythological lesson, so let's continue with the tourism. Some of the more popular dark tourist locations include places such as Chernobyl, Hiroshima, and concentration camps like Auschwitz, but I want to go over some of the lesser known ones starting with the Murambi Genocide Memorial in Rwanda. Now, fair warning, this first section does get a little bit brutal. Once again, just like previously, I have to warn away any underage listeners or people that are sensitive. This is actually quite a sad tragedy I'm about to get into. I'm sorry for doing it to you guys again. I'm going dark, but story number two is a lot more light on. So <laughs> just bear with me. Soon, every time Luke starts talking, everyone's going to like hush their kids away. Yeah. <laughs> So the memorial is widely considered one of the most tragic and unforgettable dark tourism sites in the world. I'm not sure how much Rwandan history you guys know, but in summary, in 1994, there was a very large civil war in Rwanda between the Tutsi people, who are Ugandan refugees that invaded northern Rwanda, and the Rwandan military. In essence, the Rwandan military decimated the Tutsi people, as well as some Hutu people, starting off by first assassinating key political members and then launching a mass genocide on the rest of them. The government pressured Rwandan civilians to attack, kill, and, shall we say, force themselves on their Tutsi neighbors. 
and it was all a horrible, horrible event where between 500 to 800,000 people died. It was ultimately a mass murder. Damn. And it's really not spoken about. Like I've never heard of that. That's crazy. Me neither until I got on this topic and it, I was shocked. Hence, I was going to sort of steer away from this kind of dark thing. Yeah. But I was so really shocked by it all that I just had to keep going. Yeah, fair enough. During the genocide, many Tutsi refugees ran to the Murambi Technical College, which was under construction at the time, believing it to be a safe place for them, as this is what they were told. Okay. From, I guess, the news and what, what kind of word was getting out that they should all come here to this place. Unfortunately, it was all a lie, with the point being to round up as many of them in one place as possible and to murder them all. It's estimated that in this one place alone, 27 to 40,000 people were killed. So, that's the history. But what sets this location apart from other dark tourist spots? Well, let's get into it. So, as I said, the museum is located now where the technical college was. The museum itself starts off just like a lot of other memorials, with information cards as you walk in, pictures of victims and some video footage and survivor accounts all over the wall and Mm -hmm. all over the sort of entrance area. But as one passes to the outside of the museum... Many mass graves can be seen in what were meant to be classrooms, containing these large wooden racks displaying bodies just laying about everywhere. Further throughout the buildings, the corpses of some of the victims can be seen, now preserved with a powdered lime, laying in the poses they were in upon their death. And finally, the harshest one was, there's one room in the back containing the corpses of babies and toddlers, clearly trying to run and protect themselves from the attackers, with wounds preserved and clearly visible on them. Holy... Who, who like, set everything up? Exactly. So the curator of the museum yeah. was a survivor of the genocide. Okay. He was 19 at the time and managed to escape. He was the original curator anyway. I'm not sure if he's still the guy in charge now. Okay. But he was, um, he was the one that kind of, like, kicked everything yeah. off. Okay. So he didn't actually do anything. He left the whole site as is, and that's the whole point of this museum. Uh, it's a glimpse into what happened in that time, and it's meant to sort of immortalize the atrocities that happened there. It's like a snapshot that never changes. Exactly. So the only thing that was done was obviously some of the people have moved to the mass graves, which were the classrooms. So that these big sort of wooden, they look wooden anyway, houses kind of just fill to the brim with bodies. But then in certain rooms, they they were left untouched. Okay. And it seems like all the children were rounded up into this one building at the end and just massacred. Mm. And all he really did was organize this powdered lime to be to cover everyone to obviously try and preserve as preserve much as you so could rot and yeah whatever, very nice um, and turn into a museum so yeah I did feel really sick researching this and I kind of didn't want to speak about it as I said but I do share a very similar sentiment as the museum curator when asked about why they decided to keep the memorial in this way he said that he wants people to know the horrors that went on there and doesn't want to cloud its history they don't want to shield the world from the atrocities that went on there yeah there is a bit more about this history, which I haven't really said, um, and it's worth looking up. Okay. I don't want to say it here too much because it's kind of up in the air. There's a lot of blame on America and France getting involved in this genocide oh, wow. and kind of being the ones to instigate the attack for their own political gain or whatever it might be. Uh, it's worth looking up if you're interested in. I'm not going to talk about it here because it's some accusations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we don't want to get too political. But if you do go to the museum, on most of those information cards in the beginning, they actually blame the French for oh, wow. almost everything that happened. Yeah. 
Uh, so do a bit of research <laughs> if you want to. Yeah. I couldn't stand to go into this anymore myself. But anyway, I do think it's important to cover these harsh realities of the world sometimes. We've said this before. Like, it's one of those things where you keep bringing it up because it's something that shouldn't be forgotten. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's cool. it's a sad tragedy all around. Yeah. Actually, and if you think about what must what it must have been like to be there at the time. Of course. Oh, freaks me out. Anyway, man, my past two topics have gone to some dark places. <laughs> Luke's search history is dark at the moment. I wonder if something's going on with me subconsciously, you know. <laughs> I swear the next one will be a lot lighter than that. (laughs) So for the next place, we're going to Iceland. Yay! Once again, it's something else weird happening in Iceland. Yeah, penis museums. (laughs) Not not that weird. This is more of a natural weird. So it wasn't so long ago, actually. And somehow I never knew about this. But I think a lot of people probably did. And that's the volcano that erupted. In Iceland? In Iceland. And don't worry, guys, nobody died this time. In April 2010... The Icelandic volcano by the name of Eyjafjalla uh, <laughs> Jokul, or as most people say because of that really, really difficult to pronounce name, E15, erupted. You should see Luke's face when he tried to pronounce it. That was fantastic. <laughs> I'm actually going to put in the sound clip of somebody else saying the name <laughs> yeah. because it's notoriously hard to say. Eyjafjalla <laughs> Jokul. <laughs> It's like, it's like someone trying to swear, but then tripping over the word because they know that there's a kid around and they don't want to swear in front of the kid. It's like, <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> but man, it's a difficult name. It's actually become like this big meme online to try and pronounce it. Yeah. And everyone pronounces it wrong on purpose, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's quite a thing. Anyway, the volcano itself comes in at 1.651 kilometers high. And it's a classic, classic stratovolcano, having a large magma chamber under the mountain. It's actually one of a chain of volcanoes that spread throughout Iceland. Didn't know they had volcanoes Me until this. Shows what I know in terms of geography. <laughs> yeah. But the damage caused by the eruption wasn't so bad. But about 800 people had to be evacuated due to the eruption causing meltwater, which is when glacial caps melt, to rush down and flood many of the rivers mm. heading towards the towns. The biggest problem, however, was that the eruption spewed up volcanic ash many kilometers into the air. Now, this caused some pretty major issues, as I'm sure you can imagine, mostly with the closure of airspace travel over large amounts of Europe, because, well, you can't see. Visibility was completely obstructed by all the ash, and it also caused many electrical storms. I guess it makes the air more shocky. Now you- <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of the right word, but you know what I mean. I'm smart, I promise. <laughs> I remember actually in the research uh, talking, because I was going through stuff about natural phenomenon a little while ago, actually. And there was one thing about volcano lightning. It's a thing. It's cool. I don't know if it's got something to do with, with it, it's, it's build up, whatever, but that's a thing. So the actual reason behind it is sort of the particles of ash often rubbing against each other and causing a bit of static electricity within the volcanic plume, which creates what's called a dirty thunderstorm. Uh, I like that name. <laughs> it does sound pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Essentially just amplifies any sort of electrical charge in the area, which just sort of adds to the conductivity of the mm. aerospace, I suppose. Don't know if that's a very good science explanation, but it's better than shocky. I want to cut everything out and just leave shocky in. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, this did, of course, cost the European economy about $5 billion because you can't fly planes, you can't move yeah, things. That's also true. Everything yeah. comes to a standstill. Thanks to all this, though, it's now a tourism hotspot. Somehow. And people flock to Iceland to visit the volcano and get a glimpse of its infamy. 
There's not much to see now. It just looks like a mountain. Yeah. Uh, but people really want to go see it for some reason. So much so that they put up a lot of hotels in the area with a view of it. Just so you can go and stay there. Look at this mountain rock. Yeah. This once caused us a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, if something costs you millions and millions and millions of dollars, yeah. you have to find some way to make it back. Why not make the thing that costs you the money the <laughs> thing tourism, that makes your money yeah. back? <laughs> exactly. I'm sure the other attractions don't hurt either, like the Northern Lights, Midnight Sun, and Natural Geezers. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. Any excuse to see a cool volcano. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure why the E15 volcano is counted as a dark tourism spot. Maybe, again, volcanoes are just a bit dangerous. It but is. why dark tourism? It just seems more kind of fun now. Yeah. Maybe it's because we're like, 12 years in the future from when it happened. Maybe it really sucked back then. Back then, I was like, let's come look at the weird smog place. Yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely not as dark as the first place I spoke about. <laughs> yeah. so. well, that was dark for all yeah. other reasons. <laughs> one makes the air dark, one makes your thoughts dark. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of volcanoes, um, or speaking of why are volcanoes so interesting, I went to the volcano in Mauritius. Okay. It's the biggest, like, disappointment. Yeah, they, they usually are. You, like, travel all the way up this hill. You think you're going to go see, like, this huge like crater and do some lava. And it's all... You're going to stand in the edge and you're going to feel the warmth and see this bubbling stuff. It's all overgrown with trees and bushes and it's a, just a little crater. It's like a cup. So <laughs> you're sitting on the top of the mountain. Everyone's trying to sell you curos and whatever. Yeah. And you look over and it's as if someone just chopped the top of a mountain, hollowed it out a little bit and planted some trees there. Yeah. Like, wow. Thankfully, I don't have to pay any money. Like, that's I was just... No. It does suck. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to go to the science of volcanoes. I don't even know too well. But it's all the magma under the Earth's, Earth's crust. Yes. That will then kind of, over time, build up into the magma chamber, like in the case of this E15 volcano. <laughs> Say it. Which, after a bunch of pressure, will then be at the top. Yeah. And if that isn't happening, it's still called a volcano. But now that's going on there, it's dormant. Correct. Yeah. That's why I think the difference between come look at the active volcano, come yeah. look at the volcano that used to be a volcano, it's now just a mountain with a hole in it. <laughs> so disappointing. <laughs> There's a lot of weird tourist stuff in our world. It really is strange when you start looking through everything from gigantic sizes of inanimate objects to replicas of real world items or uh existing attractions i mean there's pretty much a statue of liberty in every country and a awful tower in every country it's it's really ridiculous i think we have a awful tower in paris here it's, <laughs> it's done but nonetheless they're still interesting and if it's on the dark side or on the funny and goofy side they still bring out something that you really want to go visit just for the sake of going to go visit yeah um they're cool i mean they're interesting they're fun why not and if you're a person who's into that and and, and doing that kind of thing good for you because it, it really does change how people see the world and see your country so that's it for us this week if you have any weird kind of touristy thing you've got to go see or something weird that you've seen that was a tourist attraction or some volcano that wasn't actually as non-volcanically as what we've spoken about let us know nice word brett volcanically <laughs> yeah i was following on from your uh sparky what were you calling it <laughs> shocky lightning, shocky lightning. <laughs> So you can get a hold of us on all social media platforms at Autopic Podcast. You can also email us community at autopicpodcast.com or check out our website, autopicpodcast.com, where you can find some whole bunch of goodies. We promise we will start putting things up there soon. But yeah, that's it for us this week. Until next time, stay fresh. Stay freaky. Bye. Bye.